Uh, we're going to go into this passage here once again, Romans 8. And uh, we're in this section, verse 14 to 17. So let's just read the section. And actually, we're just going to be looking at verse 15 this morning. And uh, I, my, this, well, let's just read the passage. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of a bondage again to fear, but, by, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs of God, and joint, uh, I'm sorry, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. And again, this section is a tremendous section. We're going through it slowly. I, I'm not trying to drag our feet through it, but this section is, is very critical because we learn who we are. We are the sons of God. And then we learn how we learn, how we're taught. And that's there in verse 16, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And we'll be looking at that next week, hopefully. It depends on how far we get this morning. Um, but what I, I, again, I'm not trying to drag feet through here. But this issue, the, the, the declaration of verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Again, that is a declaration of fact. It's not a condition. Uh, we learn that we have the same status with the Father that the Lord Jesus Christ had. And that's, and then, so that's who we are. We also learn in that verse as well of how the Holy Spirit teaches us. First of all, who, he, who is he going to teach? The sons of God. So if you're not a son of God, then the Holy Spirit isn't going to teach you. Okay? So... Then you, know, then you get into all of the Calvinistic ideas. Well, then God's got to give you faith so that you can believe and all this stuff that is counterproductive. Paul over there to the Thessalonians says, you are called by my gospel. When you hear the word, when you hear the gospel of your salvation and you trust it and believe it, then the Holy Spirit comes in, does his job. Then he can do what with you? He can then teach you, see, Bringing the gospel isn't so much a teaching lesson at, with the Holy Spirit. It's rather a wake up, you're going to hell. You know, <laughs> you think about people who die rejecting the gospel. Well, the moment they woke up, they then became Bible believers. They woke up in hell. What do they believe in? All right, that was right. They wake up in heaven. Then what? Ah, okay, we're good. <laughs> you know. So it's an it's an issue here. That in verse 14, unfortunately, religion and uh, other uh, folks have really beat this section up to death because of, you know, they, of a misapplication of what it says. First, we are declared to be sons. That status in the family. How, okay, we're going to talk about the spirit of adoption here in a minute when we get down into that. And verse 15, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. That's the law program. Notice, by the way, the language here that Paul used. We're going to go over to Galatians 4 here in a minute. The language that Paul uses to describe the law program. God is not relating to you, nor, or is he not, he's not responding to you 
in the issue of bondage again to fear. He's not responding to you or relating to you or going to teach you under that law program. Why? Because chapter 7, what, did we, what have we learned? We're dead to that program. That program's been dead. Don't resurrect the dead. Leave the dead be dead. Let's operate where we're supposed to operate, which is under the issues of grace. We're learning something. We've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, we introduced Abba, Father to you. We'll talk a little more about it this morning. But notice that issue of we've received the spirit of adoption, that issue there of adoption. Just real quick in the text, if you drop down to verse 23, and not only they but ourselves also which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even where ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the what? The adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. We have the spirit of adoption. We do not have the adoption yet. When do we get the adoption? The redemption of our body. We have the spirit of. And notice it's a capital S. So we have the Holy Spirit going to be working here on our behalf, working in our inner man, whereby we can cry, Abba, Father. Now come over to Galatians chapter 4. Because when we talk about adoption, we, te- we have to realize that in Scripture, the term adoption, you got Galatians 4, look at Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1, in, one of the, in, the, in the list of the spiritual blessings that we have, verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good plan. See that issue of adoption? In Galatians 4, Paul is going to give us some details, really in, in, in great detail, about this issue of us possessing the spirit of adoption. When we think about adoption in our culture, we think about that formal transfer of parental rights and roles and responsibility from one set of parents to another set of parents. So then that child comes in and becomes a member of our family. Okay? That's how we think about it. We think about a child being brought into an existing family structure. Well, that is not adoption in Scripture. How did you become a member of the family of God. The gospel, right? By faith, the shed blood, the cross work. So when he talks here in chapter 8, Romans 8, Galatians 4, about adoption, you are already in the family. That's the first five chapters. So he's not talking about taking you and adding you to the family. He's rather talking about the, in the, the issue of adoption is you are already in the family. Now, this is going to be the status that you have in the family. You follow that? See, when you come to Scripture, you can't think like the heathen think, <laughs> the Gentiles think, Ephesians 4. You've got to pay attention to what is happening here. Now, notice Galatians 4, notice verse 1. Now, I say... 
that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. So we've got something there. We have an heir. If you're an heir, you're already in the family, aren't you? Okay? But as long as he is a child, he differeth nothing than a what? A servant. So we've got an heir that is a child, and we have a servant. Okay? We have an heir. Did I spell that right? I before E except after C and B and D. E. It's E-I. Sorry. Make it a mess. Mess it up, Rick. Make it a mess. Let's go back to bed. Right? All right, there you go, right? We have two categories listed here. We have two issues here. He's an heir, he's a ch but as long as he's a child, he differeth nothing than a servant. But he's, an he's the heir. He's already in the family. He's a child. He's the heir. That word child, born one. <laughs> he's in the family. But he's also considered to be a what? A servant. So we're not talking about getting into the family. You're already in the family. The spirit of adoption. Now watch verse 2. But is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Notice he's talking about the law system there. What's the rudiments of the world? The elements of the world. That's the law program. That's the law. It's the law system. It's the tutors and governors. Notice how he uses terms to describe the law. Tutor tells you what to think. Governor tells you how to behave. What does the law system do? It's going to impact both the child and the servant in, by telling them what to think and how to behave. No matter if they're, by the way, an adult, we're, we're, after, we're after something here, aren't we? We're after that word son, aren't we? When you're a child, you don't differ anything from a servant, you're going to have what influence you? You're going to have a tutor and a governor situation. Tells you what's happening here. Both the child and the servant are under the same program. They're under the control of, here's what you're to think, here's how you're to behave. You and I are that way. We understand that. We see that. Now watch verse 4. First word, but. That's the way it was. Now it's going to change. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth the Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of what? Sons. Now we're going to, sorry, now we're going to focus on that word and this word. We're no longer a what? A child. We're now a what? A son. But notice the verse carefully. Notice it says, 
that we might receive the, the adoption as sons. Didn't say that, does it? God doesn't, it doesn't say we receive the adoption by God bringing us into the family. No, doesn't say that at all. It says what? We receive the adoption of sons. He's described the description here of a child already in the family is now being moved to the position in the family as an adult son. He can't do it under the law program. The laws of what? Tutors and governors. What do you do? Barks, barks the orders. But under grace now, what can he do? He can change that status. Okay? I hope you catch this. Or catching it. But notice how verse 4 started. But when the fullness of time was come, there's a timing here. Go back to verse 2. You're under tutors and governors until the what? The time appointed of the Father. There's a timing issue here. There's a point in time when the Father says, you are no longer a child, you're now an adult. Okay? As a dad, that's your responsibility as a dad in your family is to be able to know your children well enough that you can look at them and say, you are no longer a child, you are an adult. Now that's going to be important here in, 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 as we kind of move through this because what begins to, <laughs> you're my heir, you're my child. <clears throat> and you're that way until I tell you differently. Do you follow this? Okay. Verse 5. To redeem them which are under... I just... There's, I, I'm, I'm out of whack here a little bit. Hang on here. What happens is, is people say that this is a contradiction. Okay? How can he be a son and yet not appointed? If you look at verse 2, you're, you know, even so we, when we were, verse 4, their time, verse 5, to redeem, verse 6, and because your sons has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So how can he be an heir and not be a son? So people read into this tremendously, but that's not what's happening here. He's talking about status. He's talking about a positioning in the existing family structure. If you think about it, I, the reason I got, got out of whack is I got ahead of myself when I said that a minute ago about dads and your job, because that's down a little bit here. When you think about this, the father... He says, you're my heir. You are my son. You are my child. Enough with the tutors and governors, the law. I now am going to appoint you as a son, as an adult. 
that I now can come over, that's what I intended you to be all along. To be a fully functioning, fully equipped adult within the family unit. When you're an adult, you're no longer a liability. Children are liabilities. They cost. They have needs. They don't make smart decisions. So what do you got to go do? Clean them up. When we were visiting with mom and dad, we got to telling stories of old. We had family dinner and uh, my brothers were there, and we got to reminiscing about breaking windows and doing different things. And I can remember throwing rocks down between the houses, and one bounced up and broke the window and running home and not telling mom and go, oh, my stomach hurts, and go lay down and hope it goes away type thing. And you, know, and, and you know what happens? They find out. You know. Say, and what happens? Then dad's got to go down and buy a pane of glass and go fix it, replace it, you know. They cost. They're, are they a contributor or a, they're not, an asset, they're not an asset, are they? They're a liability. But when they become adults, what do they become? An asset. They begin to contribute to the family. And there's a point when you become an asset. You, you, you become a producer for, within the family unit. You become a contributor. And again, for the goal, that's the goal here. The goal here, uh, my guys, they're going to be 26. Or they are 20. No, they're going to be 26 in September. Emily's in June. Okay? When the goal here isn't for them to move home and live on my couch the rest of their life. Now, things happen, life, I get that. The goal is for them to go do what? Be a productive member of society. That's the goal. I know what happens. Moms say no, they can live on the couch till they die. Dad says no, they can't. Get out. Then you have World War X, right? Moms, no, we got my little chicks real close. Dad's like, nope, send them out. Let <laughs> Let them fend off the big bad wolves. <laughs> Deal. Get out. The goal here isn't for that, isn't for them to be, the goal is for them to be what? Productive. You and I the same way spiritually. We're not to be a sponge. We're to be productive. We're to be someone who can contribute to the family. And what happens is, is you're, yeah, you're my heir. Now, my guys ain't going to get much. Actually, you know what? If I sold my house right now, I'd make a bankroll. Problem is, is I'll be living with somebody I want to use, you know. I got to have to move in with you. No, okay, thanks. Appreciate the, you know, we had a house down the street. My house, I think it sold for like $400,000. I'm like, holy cow, you know. But then again, can't do, can't go anywhere because can't afford the house next door, is four fifty. So now I'm upside down again. You know, just crazy. But but we're we're not going anywhere. <laughs> but to see, the thing is, is the goal here is to, is to take, the father, God the Father, 
He's going to take you, he's going to prepare you, he's going to equip you to not just be the son, but to also be that servant. To serve him. To serve with him. You want to be a contributor to the family, to the household of God. You're not just going to sit right there. You're now going to be there. Notice verse 1. He's a child, differeth nothing from a what? A servant. See, there's an introduction here. And what's going to happen is that's where the Abba, Father cry, comes in. Because we're going to be a son, fully educated, equipped, ready to roll, ready to go, a productive member, and we're going to do it as a servant. And literally what you begin to have here is the goal here is to take you and to put you in a position of sonship, an adult, and then as an adult, equip you, prepare you, educate you, so that now you'll go over here and be that servant that you're to be. That's the, adop- that's the spirit of adoption, verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Notice the cry is connected to being a son, to being a servant. They're connected. Now, real quick, in verse 2, where he says, until the time appointed of the Father. The question then is, is when did the time appointed of the Father take place? When did that happen? Okay, well, hold on here. Run back to chapter 8 of Romans. Romans 8. For my family, when Mike, I talked to Linda, and I said the kids are getting older, I need your sense in on whether they're adults yet or not. And she said, one is, two isn't. Well, I said, I know the youngest wasn't yet, because she hadn't even figured out, you know, which way is up yet. So I had a conversation with the one, and released her to her adulthood. They thought it was going to be this hour-long thing. It was like a five-minute conversation, you know. And in that conversation, I said, you're responsible now for your own decisions. Your mom and I will help you out with the cell phone because that's easier, cheap to do. And your insurance until you're loaded, or until you're loaded, until you're able. Yeah, good luck with that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good luck with that being loaded. So until you're able, and then you can start taking that stuff over. We'll help you here. But when it comes to me treating you now as a my, you will always be my child. But now we're going to have adult conversations, not children conversations. You know the difference, right? Children are you do what I tell you to do or else. Adult is I think you should do this. You decide. My experience is this. And you begin to help them with advice and consent rather than, here's the rules, live, deal with it, okay? Then I had a conversation with my second son, my first son. I said, okay, my only son. I said, well, actually, I had the same conversation with Brian when he was alive. And I said, okay, here you go. Here you are. And you know what happens? We sit at the dinner table now. And, we have con- and I had it with Emily and so forth as well. 
and we sit there as five adults, and we have adult conversations. And then I watch the siblings pick on each other and just chuckle, <laughs> you know, because that's what siblings do. But see, the thing is, is there's a, there was a time appointed by me to do that in my family, okay? I did it with Linda's, you know, what do you think? Not yet. Oh, yeah, way ready. Nope, no, nope. time out. <laughs> After the last, I don't know, you know, okay. But what about here with you and I? When did the father declare this to be where we're moving from a child to a son? Look at 8.15, because 8.15 tells you, For ye have not received the spirit of a bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. When did you receive the spirit of adoption? The moment you said, I do, to Christ at salvation, at Calvary. So the time appointed of the Father was when he started the dispensation of grace. That's the time. Now, wasn't that easy? <laughs> it's none of this, ooh, you got to be alive 50 years before you get it. No. When he determined how he was going to relate to those who responded by faith to the cross work of the Lord Jesus Christ. How did he choose? What did he choose? Before, it was the tutors and governors and the law. Then he changed it to by grace through faith, didn't he? When did he do that? Road to Damascus, Paul, dispensation of grace. So, he, so the t- father, when he established the, the dispensation of grace, when he declared the law to, to, not, to not be a legitimate way to equip and to respond to his people. There's the time appointed of the Father. So from the very beginning, when you became an heir, we'll get down into the passage in in 8.17 there, heir of God. Uh, Titus says you're an heir of God, you get eternal life. When did you get eternal life? The moment you trusted Christ. That's why I said he determined, the Father he chose to relate to those who respond by faith to the cross work of Christ. Now you're a son. Now you're an adult. Now, verse 15, we receive the spirit of adoption. We don't receive the spirit of bondage. By the way, notice that spirit, that S is small. At, at spirit, at, there's, a, there's a wonderful spirit in the room, attitude, atmosphere. We don't have that bondage of fear. But we, now we have the, the spirit of adoption. At the beginning of the dispensation of grace, where God put the law aside and replaced it with that new program called the grace of God. So the Father now can personally get involved in your growth. And, and that will get us into how we learn next time. Okay? That means, folks, that you can't go out and live any way you want to live. Remember that thing in, at the end of chapter 5 and verse of 6? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No way, Jack. And the reason isn't because I'm over here with the law saying, No, you can't, thou shalt not. 
It's the reason is, is because you're not a child. You're not a, you're not a sponge anymore. You're not sucking off of the system. You're a, you're a son. You're a contributor. And a son, an adult, doesn't do that. Doesn't act like that. The father says, I put you under grace so that I can be your father and enjoy you as my son. So our status is that of a son. You still got Galatians 4, I hope. We're going to go right back there. But look at verse 15, just real quick. We've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry what? Abba, Father. Now, last time we saw some stuff about it, we'll look here again about this declaration about Abba. Because what Paul's doing here is that when we come to the Father, it isn't that we come with babblings of a child. Okay? Hey, Daddy, Daddy. All right? It's rather we come to the Father in, in, a, in an issue of understanding. That we have the same status as that of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the same relationship now with the Father that the Lord Jesus Christ had. Now, we're not talking about making you God or a God, okay? There's a bunch of tomfoolery out there about that. But we have the same status. We have the, the same relationship. And we can enjoy the same relationship with the Father just as the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, had with the Father. You follow that? Okay? So the Abba declaration here, everybody goes, well, what is that? What does Abba mean? And you go, Aramaic, you know, all this stupidity stuff. And then you hear the, the big guy say, oh, it's just the cry of a child talking to his daddy. No, it's not. The Lord Jesus Christ was a grown man, 33 years old. He wouldn't have said daddy. Remember last week we looked at Mark 14 where he says Abba. Then we went over to Matthew 26 and he says, my father. That's not a cry of a child. It's a, rather that word Abba, the context is going to help you with it. And where he says, Abba, where we can say, Abba, it's a declaration of a dual relationship that we have between the Father and the Son. We have a dual relationship. We are an adult and we are a servant. There's a duality here. And when Jesus Christ, he, you think about what he did there in the garden, and where he says this, and he says, Abba, Father, what's he looking at? What's he saying? That cup, do you, you remember? I, look back at Mark 14. We're going to, I'm killing myself, but Mark 14, 36. We'll, we'll be back into this passage here in a little bit, but Mark 14, 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. Think about what that, the language around that use of the Abba phrase. He's looking at it, the cup. 
He's in the garden, by the way. He's not at Calvary yet. What does he know is in the cup? Revelation 14. What's in the cup? The wrath of my indignation without mixture. You haven't put any sweet and low in there. It's strong. Here it is. So when he says, not my will, but thy will be done, why does he say that? Because he has an understanding of what the will of the Father and the word of the Father is, doesn't he? Yes. So that, that terminology, that term, Abba, that declaration there, is really the language of trust. It's the language of dependence. What's he depending on? Not my will, but whose will? Thy will. What has the Father told him already over in John, if we get there? He says, I'm going to give you the power to take your life and to raise it again. He says, I can, I can no man taketh, John 10. Actually, yeah, John 10. John 10, verse 17. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. What did he know? What does he understand? What is he depending on? He's depending. It's a language of information, isn't it? It's a language of understanding, Abba. He understands the relationship there. He understands. He, he looks there and he says, you're my dad, you're my father, my dad. <laughs> you're my father, and I understand what your will and your word is and what you're going to do. I understand why you're giving me the cup. So out of a realm of intellect, understanding, he says, Abba, Father. That's the same for you and I. That's why we cry, we can cry, Romans 8, Galatians 4, what? Abba, because we're, we're operating in a realm of in, intellect. Come back with me to Hebrews chapter 5. We have the same relationship with the Father that the Lord Jesus Christ had. When Christ sits there and he says, I see the cup, I see what's got to happen, not my will. What, by the way, what, Hebrews 5, what was the will of the Son? What was his will? Don't let the cup, is there, man, Lord, if, Father, is there any way under your starry sky that this cannot happen? Matthew, a little later, he says, you know, my Father could bring the legions of angels, but who would fulfill the scriptures? See, he knew what was going on. Hebrews 5, look at verse 8. Though he were a... Son, capital S, who is he? He's God the Son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Notice that verse carefully. He's a son, yet he, he did what? He learned something, didn't he? Notice what it's not saying. It doesn't say because he was a son... He learned obedience. It doesn't say 
because he, even as a son, even though he was a son, it says what? Though he was a son, with all the natural rights and privileges of being a member of the family, we call it the Godhead, he was a what? A son. Yet. That's the key word in that verse. Yet. Yet he did something, didn't he? He did he instead of exercising his natural rights as son. Instead of coming in there and saying, "Nope, I'm a son, I'm an adult and I'm on board. I know what you want to do, but I'm doing my thing." He didn't say that, did he? He chose to do something else. He did what? What did he choose to do? Learn. He obedience. You see, he cho- the Lord Jesus Christ was a son, the son, but he also became what? He learned obedience. He became a servant. Does a passage come to mind? Philippians two. <laughs> come on, Philippians two. You see, he has a dual relationship here with the Father. He has a relationship with the Father as son, but also as servant. Philippians 2, verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Think about that. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Notice that. As a son, he's equal with God. He's, he knows that. There's no question of his status in the family. But he also did what? Took on the form of a servant, the dual relationship. As a son, he understood what it meant to be the beloved one. He understood what it meant to be the focus of the Father's intense care, love, and desire. Because he is. You go through John, and he says, the Father loveth the Son. He says it over and over again. He says over there in John, he says, he'll never leave me alone. But did he? One time? Calvary? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why? Because he's made a worm. He's made a sinner. (laughs) And God can't look on sin. But you know what? As a servant, he comes to understand that there's a need for obedience and an accountability to what the Father wants done. And you know what, guys, folks? We have the same relationship. Come back to Galatians 4. We have the same status. You know why? Because we are declared to be sons. 4-5. Chapter 4, verse 5. Galatians 4-5. To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. You are to be treated in the family as an adult, as a a contributor, 
as a productive member of the household of God, the family of God. Therefore, verse 6, and because ye are sons, note any doubt you're a son. Do you see, there's no doubt in any of these passages. Religion says what? Well, you know what? You didn't come on Wednesday night. So guess what? Your sonship, we're going to drop one of the S's. Okay? And you're just going to be a, an own. I don't know. Well, we missed you now for three weeks in church on Sunday. Well, I was online. That online stuff don't count yet. See, that's what religion does. Scripture doesn't do that. He says, it doesn't matter where you're at, what are you? If you're in Christ, you are a what? You're a son. Now start acting like it. Start living like it. And because you are a son, what does God do here? God has sent forth... Maybe sometimes when he feels like it, the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. No, he's, what, what has God done to you? He's already shed abroad his love in your hearts by who? The spirit, the Holy Ghost, Romans 5, 5. What does he do here? He comes in and he says, listen, I'm putting into your heart, the, with the heart man believes under righteousness, that inner component of your soul, of your inner man, where you think and process stuff and have attitudes and where you take in and you decide what you're going to obey and what you're going to listen to. And I put the Spirit in there to teach you and to navigate and to help you learn and to help you navigate. And you know what the Spirit does? It's going to bear witness with your spirit that you are who I'm telling you you are, the Son of God. And he's going to educate you. Okay? Now go back to Mark 14. Because you see, and by the way, I'm, we didn't finish Galatians 5 or 4 6, sorry. Whereby into your hearts crying, Abba Father. In 4 6, the one crying, Abba Father, is not you, it's the spirit of. Adoption, that's doing that cry. Romans 8.15, we cry, Abba, Father. But who also is crying? You've got to catch that. We skipped that part in 4.6. God sent forth his, the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying what? Abba, Father. Who's crying it? The spirit, the father, the, and the son. They're all crying what? I'll go to Mark 14. Abba, the language of intelligence, the language of understanding, Mark 14. The language of trust, the language of dependence upon who you are in Christ. Mark 14, run back up with me to verse 33 here. And just watch how the Lord Jesus Christ cries this. And I know we looked at it just a minute ago, but it's, it's number next in my notes here. And he, talking with Peter and James and John, began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And he saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. 
tarry ye here and watch. Now, I want you to notice something here. Is, is the Lord having a good day? He's had a great evening so far. They've just come out of the upper room, the meeting, with the 12 apostles up there. Judas is gone now to do his deed. He comes down. They sing a hymn. They go out down into the evening. They go into the garden, and he's going to pray here in the garden three times. But notice that he says, my soul is exceedingly happy and joyful and woohoo. No, it's what? Sorrowful. So the context around the cry of the Abba Father is not a joyful one. It's a what? It's a sorrowful one. There's something intense going on here. There's something going on here that now the Lord is going to have two prayers listed here. He's, he's going to do something now. Verse 35, and he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed. Now watch what he prays. That if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He's got a prayer of petition there, doesn't he? What's he praying for? Let it pass, man. Hey, I read a Bible. It was a Pig Latin Bible. Well, I call it Pig Latin. It wasn't, but it was made of the one of the tribes in Hawaii or something made it. And they called God the big guy in the sky. That's how they listed him. And I think about that. You know, hey, big guy in the sky, can we let this thing slide by here? See? And he does... So he starts with the prayer of what? Of a petition. Verse 36, And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Notice the language of an adult here. We can, by the way, we're, we are to cry the same thing here. The Lord Jesus Christ knows something, doesn't he? He's not, so he is not arguing with the Father. And usually sometimes in the garden scenes you'll hear people say, he, him and the Father are in an intense conversation, and that is not true. That is not accurate. The Son is praying to the Father. By the way, we pray to who? The Father about the details that we're involved in and how to take his word and apply it to those details. That's what prayer is. That's what the son's doing. He's not arguing with the father. The father is listening. Yet the son has full understanding about what is to take place, doesn't he? Let this cup take away this cup from me. He knows what's coming. He's sorrowful, his soul is heavy and it's exceedingly sorrowful there. I mean, he knows what's coming, he understands that. But yet he's going to make an appeal here, doesn't he? Hey, if it's possible, and by the way, all things are possible with you, Father. Take this cup away. Do you see that prayer there? Do you see the surrounding of the Abba Father cry is a situation of prayer? But it's a situation of intelligence as well. It's a situation of understanding of what's going on. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. Not my will, but thou wilt. Now he moves to a prayer of submission, doesn't he? 
See that? That Abba Father cry is, hey, is there any way that this can pass? Let me look it up. Let me get in the book and study it. What what does the word say? (laughs) Then it's like, okay, Lord, in everything give thanks. I got you. And then in Ephesians, you find out for everything give thanks. Oh, boy. <laughs> and then you know what it says? Then you know what your prayer petition? Do you know what his prayer petition does? It moves to submission. Not my will, but thy will be done. Notice he does not exercise his rights. He does not exercise his liberties. He does not say, it's my right and I can do it. That's why Paul instructs us on using our liberties very carefully to the Corinthians there. Later in the book of Romans, you know, Galatians 5, stand fast in the liberty, verse 13. Don't use your liberty for your flesh. Use it to serve one another. The issue of Abba, just as the Lord Jesus Christ where he says here, I have a right to appeal to you as my father. Yet I have a right to what? Not demand my rights. Let every request be made known unto God. Right? This is a prayer. This isn't him walking around going, hey, Abba, how you doing up there? He's not clicking down the street with the hat. He's, he's bended knee. The other accounts, he's sweating drops of blood. This is intense situation. And he says, you know what? You're my dad. You're my father. Oh, my dad. You're my father. And if there's, and again, he's not arguing with the father. The father's listening. By the way, you know the father doesn't respond. Do you know where the father's response is? Calvary. That was his response. Three times the Lord prays. And you know what happens? He says, I have a right to appeal to you, to talk to you because you're my father, but I also have the right not to demand. And my plea of remove the cup is because of the plea of the moment. Because it's not my will, but thy will be done. See that? Please understand that this is exactly how God wants to relate and to respond to you and I. Same way. In the turmoil, the issue is not, why God? You know that question? Why, did God, why does God let bad things happen to good people? That is not the question. That is not the issue. The issue is, who am I? In the turmoil, the question is, is, well, why did God do this? No, the question is, is who am I? What is the, that's what the Lord's doing in Mark 14. Who is the Lord? He's a son, but what did he do? He took on the form of a servant, didn't he? He says, yes, I am equal with God. Yes, I can, yes. You know, the son could have literally just stood up and said, this is dumb, and it's over, and I ain't doing it. And you know what would have happened? Nothing, it would have been done and it would never have happened. Because who is he? 
He's deity. But when he was born of the Virgin Mary, you know what he had done? He had chosen to be a servant. He's chosen to what? Not say, this is dumb and I ain't doing this anymore. Because he's, a, he's an adult. You know, it's my party and I can cry if I want to. The Lord Jesus Christ is holding himself to the will and the word of the Father. And because the Father hasn't responded yet, he's listening to the prayer of his Son. And you and I have the same relationship. He has responded to us right here. If you want to hear God speak today, read his, read his word. If you want to hear God speak to you out loud, read his word out loud. Sign that was on the wall at Shorewood. I took a picture of it. By the way, that's in the children's classroom. <laughs> so you know what they're teaching the kids there, you know. You see, that's what prayer's all about. That Here's how an adult thinks. An Abba, the Abba prayer is, an, is a prayer, is a, is, a, is a term of an intelligent reaction to, I know who I am. I know what my rights and privileges are as a what? As a son. Yet, what am I going to go do? I'm going to go be a servant. Not my will, but thy will be done. And in Mark 14 there, verse 36, when he says, not, not what I will, but what thou will, literally what the Lord's saying is, I'm going to move to be in submission now to Calvary. And I'm going to move that way. That's the heart of Abba. That's what the cry of Abba Father is all about. And when you come back to Romans 8 and verse 15, we cry that not in our own energy and our own effort, but rather in the energy and the effort because we have the spirit of adoption, Galatians 4, where? In our hearts. I'm a son just like Christ. I'm an adult. By the way, verse 17, I'm a joint heir with Christ. I have this relationship. Again, not making me a God. I'm not a God to anybody but myself. <laughs> no, I'm not a God. It's a joke. Okay? But rather my relationship is a real one. It's a rich one. And as I learned what it is and grow and do, then guess what? I can now cry, Abba, Father, because I have an intelligent, I have a trust, I have a dependence upon, I have an understanding of the word and the will of the Father. What would he have me do in the moment? You follow that? Okay? So when somebody says, oh, define Abba, well, I just, I just defined it for you from the context, okay? Because you, you look that word up in the dictionary, and it's got you running eight different ways to church. It's amazing. And you look it up in commentaries, and no commentary agrees. The context does, though. And that's it. Now, next time we'll see how we learn. 
and who's involved in that. And that'll be in verse 16 and 17 there. Okay? All right. Can I do one thing with you just real quick? Give me five minutes. Look at Psalms 40. Because I'm, and the reason I'm going to do this is it has to do with sonship. And Psalms 40, and get Jeremiah 9. When you think about an adult son and how an adult son thinks and talks and operates, these two verses help you tremendously. Get Psalms 40, and verse 6, 7, and 8, and then get Jeremiah 9. Psalms 40, verse 6. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offerings hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I, and by the way, Hebrews 10 quotes this, and this is the Lord Jesus Christ talking to the Father. I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. I, what's that next word? Delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Do you see that I delight? That's an adult. Come over to Jeremiah 9, verse 23 and 24. When you think about sonship and you think about adults, what does Psalms 40, verse 8 say? Thy law is within my heart. What's the, what is Jehovah? What does the Lord know? The word of God, the instructions, the word. And he says, you know what? I delight in doing that. Jeremiah 9, 23, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, now watch, that he understandeth and knoweth me. Who's the me? Lord, Jehovah, the end of the verse. That I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I, what? Delight, saith the Lord. You see, what an adult's going to say is I'm going to delight in being that servant because that's what I'm supposed to be. Follow that? So I didn't want to skip the sonship thing. A lot of noise out there about what sonship is. Simply, it's being an adult and delighting in what the Lord's doing. What is the Lord doing today? He's forming the church, the body of Christ. How? Seeing all men get saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's simple. It isn't run through this or run through that and run this program, do that 18 step. I read a guy one time, sonship, he had 25 steps to being a son. All of it's legitimate in that it was verses and right, but not 25 steps. It starts with what? What does is, what is the Lord delight in doing today? What is the will of God? Let's go do that. That's how an adult thinks about it, okay? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord, and thank you for the folks, for, the, for their patience and for their desire to learn and to trust and see what's going on in your word. And as we move and as we think about these things, we would do so that as we would delight in what you're doing today. In your name we pray, amen.